Good afternoon and welcome to the CDH Conversation Podcast. My name is Tepiso Rasetlola and I'm an associate at Cliff Tekahoff Mayor. Our offices are based in Johannesburg. Today we'll be speaking about general principles of retrenchments and in particular how this affects fixed-term contract employees. Joining me today is Bongani Masuku, who's a director in our employment law department. Thank you very much for making time to speak to me on this topic today, Bongani. Thank you, Tsepi. It's a pleasure to be here. Good afternoon to everybody. I think it's important for the benefit of the listeners to first discuss some basic retrenchment guidelines before we deal with how it affects fixed-term contract employees and specifically what constitutes a retrenchment process the difference between a Section 189 and a 189 capital letter A process, and some important guidelines regarding consultations, and lastly, the payment of severance. Now, my understanding, Bongani, is that retrenchment is a form of a dismissal, but the difference with this in comparison to misconduct is that this is a no-fault type of dismissal, which entails a process under Section 189 or Section 189 capital letter A whereby the employer reviews its business needs, termed operational requirements in order to increase profits or limit losses. And this often leads to a reduction of its employees. Now, as part of this process, the employer is required to give fair reasons, a business case rather, for making such decision to retrench its employees and to secondly follow a fair process when making such a decision. Failure to do so may expose the employer to an unfair dismissal dispute, referral to the CCMA or the Labor Court, depending on the number of employees that are going to be retrenched. The main purpose of both processes is to ensure meaningful engagement between employers, employees' representatives or employers and employees in a retrenchment on issues pertaining to the retrenchment process which includes, but is not limited to, the manner in which retrenchments may be avoided or minimized. Now, it's on this backdrop, Bongani, that I would like you to perhaps outline the differences between a Section 189 and a Section 189 capital letter A process. Sure, Tsepi. What you've outlined as a matter of background is exactly it. It is a no-fault dismissal, and it can either occur in terms of Section 189 or Section 189, capital letter A. The first process, Section 189, deals with small-scale retrenchments, and this is usually done internally by employers and in consultation with those persons that um, an employer is supposed to consult, either in terms of the LRA or if there's a collective agreement in place in terms of that collective agreement. So what is notable is that there's no time limit for the conduct of such consultations in respect of a Section 189 normal process or small-scale process, provided the parties exhaust all issues that are consulted upon and that if no agreement is reached at the end of that process, however long it takes, um, and the employer is entitled to issue a notice of termination against those affected employees. The consultation has a hierarchy in terms of both the LRA. In terms of the LRA itself, the employer must consult at the top of the hierarchy of people to be consulted, a workplace forum where a workplace forum exists in that particular employer's enterprise. But in the absence of a workplace forum in the enterprise, then the next best person to consult is a trade union that represents employees 
in the enterprise and in the absence of a trade union rec representing employees employees can be consulted directly by the employer or employees can even choose a team of representatives that will be nominated by them for the purposes of the consultation process in terms of section 189 the distinction between that small-scale process in terms of section 189 and section 189a is that section 189a on the other hand deals with large-scale retrenchments which is the process that applies to what is considered to be large employers and where such a large employer is retrenching a number of a great number of employees the consultation process in terms of section 189 big a it requires no less than 60 days to be completed so you must be locked in that consultation process for no less than 60 days as provided by section 189a so there are two processes available to the parties in a section 189 big a consultation uh, process the first is that the employer may conduct an internal consultation process with any of the consultees from the hierarchy of consultees that i discussed earlier on and that first consultation process could take place or must take place within the first 30 days after the issuing of the section 1893 notice to all employees advising them of the retrenchment process. When no agreement is reached at the end of the first 30 day period, then either of the parties must refer a dispute to the CCMA for conciliation. It is the first of the two processes available in terms of section 189BA. The second is that either of the parties upon the issuing of the section 1893 notice telling everybody about the possibility of a contemplated retrenchment, either of the parties may refer the matter or the process to facilitation before the CCMA, where a facilitator will be appointed by the CCMA who will assist the parties over the 60 days period to conduct their consultation. If no agreement is reached at the end of that 60 day period of facilitation, then the facilitator would advise the employer or make recommendations to the employer on what is to be done as a matter of the next step from a factual point of view. But in most cases, nine out of 10 times, the facilitator will advise the employer that you may now issue your notices of termination to the employees that are affected and that have not been able to be assisted throughout the 60-day facilitation process. Thank you very much, Bongani. That was very insightful. My understanding from what you've just taken us through, the processes that you've just taken us through, is that one of the fundamental aspects of both these processes is to ensure that parties engage in a joint and meaningful consultation with the aim of finding a common ground or a mutual understanding on the material aspects in that specific retrenchment process. And this includes, but it's not limited to, whether these alternative to dismissals of these employees, the selection criteria to be used or applied by the employer in selecting who is going to be retained or who is going to be dismissed. And last but not least, the payment of severance and other statutory payments and the like. Does that capture the essence of the retrenchment process, Bongani? Yes, indeed, Sapiso. The most important thing is that the views and the inputs of both consulting parties be meaningfully taken into account and responded to and be, as a matter of fact, be considered meaningfully other than just for the sake of making progress in the process. So a meaningful joint consensus-seeking process must be undertaken. Okay, so it's, it's much of not just a tick box exercise, but ensuring that both parties are fully engaged in that process. Absolutely. 
Thank you very much, Bongani. So we will, for the purpose of our discussion, although I understand we've gone through the background and the different types of processes involved in a 189 retrenchment, for purpose of our discussion today, we'll only be focusing on severance pay in respect of fixed-term contract employees. Now, in this regard, we will look at the 2020 CCMA Arbitration Award in the case of SA Revolutionary Allied South African Union on behalf of Nachange and others versus Njaveli Security Services, which dealt with the question of whether fixed-term contract employees are eligible to be paid severance pay. Now, it's important to briefly discuss the facts before we actually delve into the issue of severance praise, just to give the listener a picture of the situation that we're speaking about. Now, in this instance, the applicant trade union, which will be referred to as RAWU throughout our conversation, Bongani, referred a dispute in terms of Section 41 of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, which I'll be referring to as the BCEA, against the employer. And the basis of the referral was that they were claiming the payment of severance pay to those of its members whose employment had been terminated due to the loss of business from Transnet by the employer, where these employees had been placed over a three-year period by such employer. Now, the employees were employed on a fixed-term contract from 2015, which was supposed to be over a period of two months, and which expressly provided that it would terminate automatically at the end of that contract between the employer and Transnet. Now, three years later, the employer advised that these employees in writing that its contract with Transnet would terminate only on the 28th of February, but that they would continue to provide security services to Transnet on a month-to-month basis. As a consequence of this, these employees continued working until September 2018, where they were then subsequently issued with notices of termination. Now, two main issues that I'd want you and I to have a discussion on, Bongani, is whether the employees' fixed-term contract simply expired due to the efflux of time, or if, in fact, the true reason for the termination of these employees was retrenchment, and if retrenchment was the appropriate process to be followed. And these are the questions that were presented to the commissioner. The second question is, whether they were thus entitled, if they were retrenched, to severance pay. So can you please just unpack this for us and what this means to an employer, Bongani, who is currently employing fixed-term contract employees for a period of more than 24 months. And in some instances, you'll find that it's even for a greater or lengthier period. Can we just engage on what this arbitration award means for such employers? Thanks, Tapi. The case is quite important and it arises out of a recent amendment to the Labor Relations Act, Section 198, which deals with fixed-term contract employees, it deals with part-time employees, it also deals with labor broker employees, the proverbial TES employees, who are obviously all earning below the earnings threshold in terms of the BCEA, but also who are employed for a period of up to 24 months or for a period that exceeds 24 months. So the case serves as an important reminder to all employers who employ such categories of employees of the new right, because it's a new right. And from the employer's point of view, obviously, it's an obligation created by the amendment to Section 198 that creates a right for employees to be able to claim severance pay in terms of Section 41 of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act if they've been employed under those circumstances and if their employment terminates, be it by retrenchment or by the affliction of time in that they are fixed-term contracts. 
Ultimately, on the facts of this case, Jaeli, the commissioner found that despite the wording of the notice of termination, and by the way, the notice of termination in this case referenced as a reason for dismissal the effluxion of time because there were fixed term contracts at the beginning in 2015. Three years and, uh, and about seven months later, when they are terminated due to the loss of business from Transnet by the security company that they were employed by, which placed them at Transnet, the employer cited as a reason for dismissal the effluxion of time, saying you are terminated because your contract has come to an end because it was a fixed term contract. The commissioner at the CCMA came to the conclusion that the employees were terminated for reasons relating to the employer's operational requirements, i.e. the loss of business from Transnet, and that therefore that was a retrenchment. Further, the commissioner found that the employees are entitled to being paid severance pay in terms of Section 41 of the PCA for two reasons. The first being because he found that the true reason or the dominant reason for their termination of their employment was a retrenchment, but also by reason of the amendment to Section 198, which um, saw an insertion of Section 198B subsection 10A into section 198 that didn't exist before the amendment was effected. So for those two reasons, the commissioner came to the conclusion that because their employment was for 24 months and more, they were employed effectively for three three years and seven months at the time of the uh, arbitration proceedings, and two, because they were earning below the threshold, and three, because they are covered by the provisions of section 198B10A, therefore they were entitled to being paid severance pay in terms of 40, section 41 of the PCA. Thank you very much, Bongani. I'm a bit taken aback by um, the outcome and what this means for employers. Now, from a practical point of view, what advice would you give and would you give employers who are currently employing fixed-term contract employees or who are possibly thinking in future to employ fixed-term contract employees based on the findings that were issued by the commissioner in this particular case? What takeaways can we take from this and what practical steps can be taken by employers to ensure that they don't find themselves in this situation? So firstly, I think it's important to underscore the purpose of the amendment to section 198. The purpose was to give more protection to disaffected employees who did not enjoy such a protection before. As we will all know, the fixed-term contract employees could have their employment terminated by the fluxion of time and have no claim. And this could happen even in respect of employees who would have been employed for a period in excess of 24 months just because they were employed on a fixed-term contract. So I think the importance or the purpose of the amendment to section 198 is underscored here. But also the advice to employers is that they must give great consideration or they must take into serious consideration to the setting the period of employment in fixed-term contracts. So the period for which one employs an employee in terms of a fixed-term contract is of utmost importance because A, it could be time-related or it could be related to the completion of a particular project. So that needs to be set out very clearly and very specifically. Secondly, great care must be taken in the employment of fixed-term contract employees who earn below the threshold. And what that means is that provision must be made right at the beginning of employment if you know that your fixed-term contract tenure is going to be for 24 months or exceed 24 months. Then you must take great care to ensure that you make provision for the payment of severance pay because the payment of severance pay to those employees uh, in terms of the amendment to Section 198 applies regardless of whether the true reason for their termination is actually a retrenchment. Even if it's not a retrenchment, even if it's termination by the fluxion of time, the 24th month has come and gone and now your employment must come to an end, the right to severance pay has accrued to the employee and severance must be paid to them in light of the 
the amendment. But it's also important to understand that the CCMA enjoys jurisdiction and power to determine the true reason for dismissal, and that is an objective test that the CCMA applies there. So it doesn't matter what the reason you give, whether in writing or in the context of somebody leaving employment after 24 months of being employed in terms of a fixed-term contract, what the CCMA will do is the CCMA will have the power and the jurisdiction to interrogate the real reason or the true reason for the termination of employment. And if the CCMA comes to the conclusion that the real reason relates to retrenchment, then in terms of Section 189 of the LRA read together with Section 41 of the BCA, you are obliged to pay severance. But even if the true reason is something other than retrenchment, i.e., for example, the true reason is that the employment contract, the fixed-term contract, has now come to an end or the project for which the person was employed in terms of the fixed-term contract to complete has now been completed and that period happens to be on the other side of 24 months, then you need to pay that person severance pay in light of the or as a direct result of the amendment to Section 198. Thanks, Sebi. Thank you so much, Bongani, for taking time to discuss this topic with us. I really enjoyed sharing this platform with you. It was very insightful, as I've said before, and I have no doubt in my mind that this has given the listener some food for thought and some practical steps to put in place to avoid finding themselves in this situation. Thank you very much, Fongan. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Sepi, for having me. The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We make no representations, warranties or guarantees, whether expressed or implied, that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. We accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.